Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. Uh, this p- this week is the Atlanta Film Festival uh, from the 4th through 14th, and there are a lot of movies that I've been looking forward to as far as covering it in terms of reviews and interviews. And one of them that definitely caught my eye when I was looking through the schedule was a, a movie called Speed of Light. And I am pleased to be joined by the writer-director of the movie today, to uh, discuss it, as well as her uh, work, and uh, please welcome to the show Liz Manischel. Thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I, I just am excited to be here. Before we get into the uh, movie specifically, um, what what was your path into filmmaking? I uh, wanted to be an actress until I was like 16 and I took film classes and watched movies just to look at performances really and to kind of learn about the craft. And uh, when I was 16, I saw this really, uh, I I tell the story a lot, so it's super boring and (laughs) I'm so sorry, but I saw this movie um, that's a little bit pretentious and I'm sure um, I'm just going to turn everyone off, but, um, it's called Stolen Kisses by Francois Truffaut. <laughs> and I had like a weird epiphany and I'm not religious, but like, it was this weird moment where it was like, you should be, I mean, no one told me this, mm-hmm. but it just felt like I should be a director and not, um, an actress. And so ever since then, I've, I've literally done everything based off of this one moment I had, um, and just got into film essentially age 16 onwards. Well, Truffaut is certainly a big inspiration. And uh, yeah, I, I can I can see why he would inspire anybody to uh, get into filmmaking, especially something as wonderful as Stolen Kisses. Yeah. I haven't seen it since because I'm really nervous. It's <laughs> like, I don't want to know if it like, if I was imagining the power it had or not. And so I've just... You know, I bought the poster, it's on our wall, but I refuse to see it again. I think I saw it a couple of years ago, and I actually uh, talked to another filmmaker that I've come to know over the years about Truffaut uh, last summer. And uh, yeah, Stolen Kisses is one that's really, still really very good. So good. Um, I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm grateful. What, what, other, what other filmmakers sort of inspired you as you've gone into filmmaking? Well, um, I write things that are pretty low stakes, just that's just my inclination. I mean, except for Speed of Life, which is a low stakes movie hidden in high stakes Mm -hmm. somehow. Uh, So I like other writer directors who kind of travel in that world. So Whit Stillman is one of my favorite directors and writers. Nicole Hall of Center, you know, Hal Hartley gets very odd at times, but I I flip and love him. Um, you know, the, the kind of like the 90s independent world mm-hmm. writer directors, Alison Anders, people like that. Yeah. Well, going into, we'll, we'll go ahead and go into Speed of Life. And uh, I, I have to say, when I saw the uh, plot synopsis, uh, when I was looking through the schedule at the Atlanta Film Festival, I have to say I was immediately curious to uh, see this movie. <laughs> this was one of the movies I was probably looking most forward to uh seeing and it aired it show screened on saturday uh the first (laughs) saturday of the festival 
and uh, you were nice enough to have a uh, David Bowie cover band open <laughs> for it. And yes. uh, so going with that as the sort of setup, if you would describe sort of, uh, if you would describe Speed of Life for uh, for any listeners. Okay. Uh, I try not to give too many spoilers, but the mm. the the major event of the film is the logline. Um, so I have to give away a little a little bit. But essentially, our film posits the question: What happens if um, a wormhole that was created because of David Bowie's death appears in a couple's living room? And um, I think that's kind of a sexy description, but mm. the film is genuinely about a woman dealing with the trauma of a lost love again housed in this very very weird world um but like the central through line is an emotional one i think or that's the goal of it oh yeah it's it's definitely it's it's fundamentally about the emotions of the characters and the emotional journey of the characters before uh anything else and yeah yeah i mean there's there's science fiction and fantasy elements in it but yeah i i would definitely not um while i you know when i when i was uh putting a dis description genre in my review i put fantasy but the fantasy is really not the point of yeah a big point of the movie it is about the characters ultimately and um yeah. Well, that's dangerous, right? Because yeah. you know, sci-fi fan, and I'm a sci-fi fan. I'm a big Doctor Who fan. Mm-hmm. I know. I don't know if that qualifies me as sci-fi. People might yeah, think I'm sci-fi light, but um, <laughs> you know, we're we're rabid people, and I think we get really cranky about what is sci-fi and what's not sci-fi. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. And I I saw that you put it as a, a drama fantasy, and I love that. Um, I need to start doing that. But I, I, it's hard to ignore a wormhole when you're writing the genre of your film. And so I, I'm always at a loss with how to describe it genre wise, yeah. but I think you're right. I think it's a drama fantasy. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. What, what was it? Um, I would imagine you're a, uh, you're, you're a huge fan of David Bowie based on the fact that the, <laughs> the film is very much inspired by, his depth in a lot of ways. So what was it about David Bowie that inspired you so much? I think, and I've never really thought about this and I probably should have (laughs) because I figured someone was going to ask me. Um, It's his confidence. And uh, there's a line in the film where she says, you know, um, you know, uh, he's like an alien. Probably don't know much about aliens maybe they don't die mm-hmm. to me he was very otherworldly and i yeah. think that came from his confidence and his you know the fact that like i mean like i know people who are on like either end of the political and religious spectrum who love david bowie yeah. and he could be cross-dressing or wearing insane outfits or talking about nazis or just like he could be saying <laughs> these most extreme things and and people still just love him he does it with such style mm-hmm. um so for me it was that like brashness that he has an ability to just he doesn't seem to care what people think i love that yeah yeah, and I I know for me, I mean, I've I've listened to you know I've listened to Bowie over the years, and it's like I I don't have I've never had the appreciation for him 
that other that a lot of people had certainly, but it's funny because of the fact that probably my favorite memories of him as a performer stem from his film work in yeah. particular his two fantastic uh supporting performances in The Prestige and The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. Um yep, yep. but uh I so so David it it's interesting because of the fact that and I'm kind of surprised nobody asked you this on the question and answer after uh, after the screening on Saturday. Um, you actually, you, you know, the film basically fundamentally starts at a, uh, during a fight between the two main characters, June and Edward, but there's a, there's a scene very early on that's in 1992, <laughs> uh, with who I'm guessing is, uh, June is a child Yep. Sort of doing some of the Bowie makeup, and <laughs> yeah. so you have you have her in nineteen ninety two doing that, and then two thousand sixteen, of course, is when David Bowie passed away, and then the movie jumps to two thousand forty, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if there was any particular significance to the symmetrical uh, time gap between all three of those moments? Um, it's my favorite number. It's such a dorky reason. <laughs> I love the number 24. I just think it's a beautiful number. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the reason for the symmetry. But also uh, my niece, who really is uh, loves filmmaking, and she's um, just getting to film. She's doing animation, and she's 10 years old we couldn't have her on set. Like legally we couldn't have any minors on set. We couldn't have either of my nieces on set. So, um, she has blue eyes. She has brown hair. She was open to being on camera. And so actually in post-production, we, when we were near locking the film, we were like, we really don't have anything that shows June and her love of David Bowie. Mm -hmm. All we have is her talking about it. We yeah. don't have like something that proves that she loves David Bowie. And so I I texted my sister-in-law and I said, would you and Sophie be willing to do this? And they filmed it from like 300 miles away just based off of text descriptions of what I wanted. Oh, wow. Um, and it was crazy. It was like a complete remote shoot on an iPhone and – we put it into the film and I'm so grateful, but none of that was planned. It was all um, to solve a story problem okay. in, in post-production really. Yeah. And I mean, you, you talked about the Q and a about the, the difficulty of referencing. I mean, I guess the difficulty of referencing Bowie without really being able to play his music or use his likeness yeah. or anything like that. And I, so I, I think that's one of the things I, I do think that scene is very important in that it establishes June's affection for Bowie. And yeah. uh and when you when I hear you describe what you what you loved about David Bowie, it's like that makes sense in terms of how June is as an individual. Like she's very confident. She she really is somebody who is comfortable in her own skin. She's very confident and she's, even though she's been through this um, trauma of having 
having something happen um, between her and Edward, she she still very much is her own person. And so when we see her in uh, 2040 in this very different world uh, from our own, but, you know, in, in a way it's very reflective of our world in a lot of ways, um, you, you see her, she's very much still thinking, she marches to her own drummer. And yeah. that's, that's one of the things I really like about the character of June and one of the re- really interesting things uh, when that movie, as the movie is progressing. Thank you. I mean, I don't have much to say after that. I think you you very kindly described her so well. Um, I never actually thought of her as confident, but looking at her through just an outside an outside eye, um, she is. She flicks off the monitors in the beginning of the film. You know, she um, says what she wants and says what she needs. And um, the original goal in making this film, you know, I wanted to make a horror film because I wanted to make lots of money. <laughs> And um, I couldn't do it. I kept trying to write a horror film. I couldn't do it. But the the goal was to write a horror film with a senior woman battling something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I wanted to show, show a strong woman. And then uh, I think some of those things carried over to this draft somehow. Um, I was lucky about that. And Ann Dowd, who's just like a supreme performer, um, just it ha- did a fantastic performance of of June. Mm-hmm. Well, and you you talked a little bit about it at the Q and A. Uh, how did you get involved with uh, Endowed and uh, the actors involved with the movie? So um, yeah, I talk about it, but uh, I can't afford a casting director. A casting director on a you know on a very low budget shoot is like fifteen dollars, mm-hmm. and our film was made for I mean fifteen thousand dollars. I need to me that just like so it's like a car um that's just insane um so I have to cast my own projects and I work at Sundance and I talk about my projects a lot and I, I talked with this guy named Andrew Peterson who's a fabulous human who oversees Film North in St. Paul Minnesota and I told him my script and he's like look Ann Dow doesn't um you know, she always is fantastic and she never gets to play the lead Mm -hmm. and she might want to do your project, but it's just because it's a really meaty role and it's an opportunity to not be that, um, you know, that meaty side character, but the meaty lead. Um, that phrase meaty lead sounds super weird now that I said that (laughs) loud, but substantial (laughs) lead character, they will say that. Um, and so he gave me the contact of her manager and I just started talking with her manager and then I got looped in with the agents and it, it became a year long conversation. Uh, you have to have a lot of patience. So, you know, that was the intro to her and then everyone else, we just go directly to an agent or manager and said, we had Anne on board and, uh, everyone wanted to work with Anne Dowd and, you know, I get it. She's stupendous. Mm-hmm. No, and it's, it is a really, it, it is a really terrific female role. And I mean, it's a terrific role in general and, uh, she's, she's very good at it. And I mean, I, I love that, you know, especially with, um, uh, what's, what's her name? Allison. Allison Tolman. Yeah. 
Uh, and not only, you know, the, the fact that they both go to, they're basically playing the, they're playing the same character in different time periods, but you, time frames, but you still feel like it's the same character. And that's, that's, that's something that, you know, if, if you occasionally will get to a point where it's like, you'll occasionally have a movie where, you know, you have two different people playing the same character at different times and it just doesn't really work. And here it works exceptionally well. Like both of them, you know, they they understand the character. Did did they work together to uh do that or was that just something that uh came out of um just working on the script? Well, this is the crazy thing. We started shooting with Anne, and then Allison came on a few days later, and we couldn't rehearse with Anne because she was in New York and we were all in Los Angeles. Mm. So, um, a few like day one or two, my editor took the you know the rushes or whatever we call rushes now, um, took the footage and uh, exported it to like a Google Drive so that Allison could watch Anne's performance and possibly even mimic various, you know, facial tics or I don't know, like various um, things that we thought that were going to be just things that the character did mm-hmm. and to kind of create an evolution knowing what Anne was going to do. And Allison came back, you know, and Allison was very kind and um, she actually got her hair dyed to look a little bit like Anne. But she came back to me and she said, like, look, I'm not going to mimic Anne's performance. These are two different characters. And I think it's going to work out. And she said it much more kindly than I just summed up. But (laughs) the gist was, like, um, it's going to be too hard to kind of reverse engineer a performance. Um, And I think they just both stayed true to the script and Mm -hmm. their amazing inclinations as performers and somehow it worked out but honestly it was magic like I had no part in that and like (laughs) somehow the two characters like coalesce and um I'm pretty shocked by it yeah um no it it really works out very very well and I mean they they do really uh really good job at complimenting one another uh performance as uh as you go through the movie and um yeah it's 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 kind of hard to i mean i i'm trying to stay away from spoilers as much as possible i mean i think i revealed a little bit more in my <laughs> review of it but i i also tried not to i basically was trying to only reveal as much as i'd seen in like plot synopsis and stuff like that so i'm trying I'm trying to avoid some of that stuff because I, one of the things I, I like about this movie is that um, you're you're not quite sure where it's going to head as yeah. as the film goes on. And I mean the the way you do the the way you do a very low tech version of a futuristic world with technology that is not our own right now but is clearly an evolution of it. I actually really like that. I I really enjoyed it's simple enough to get the point across, but it doesn't distract from the fact that it's, 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 
it it it's simple without seeming kind of ridiculous, and sometimes mm-hmm. that can be the case with uh, low budget movies that try sci fi, and uh, I I feel like you know you you were able to do that very well. Thank you. Yeah, I mean it's all done out of necessity. Every, every, you know, a big thing I like about indie cinema, and I know that the definition of indie cinema is constantly, um, like, yeah. uh, <laughs> controversial and no one really knows what it is. But, you know, in terms of just like, well, let's talk about festival films. I'll just say festival films mm-hmm. or films that are trying to do something different than studio releases, um, is that we should always try not to be predictable. Um, you know, obviously there are some things in this movie that come to a catharsis, but I think it's really important as artists to try to do things that are, are really not formulaic um, because that's where we are. Like if we weren't, you know, we're not studio writers. We're not writing these like crowd pleasing films. Um, this is an opportunity to try different things. Um, so, you know, thank you for saying that. And um, yeah, the technology, you know, a lot is due to the visual effects that were donated to the film. And were people not generous enough to do that, you know, we would be really ridiculous. But we had some fantastic technical people on this film. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned that um, you mentioned that this was crowdfunded on Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, as well as from uh, from previous uh, from your previous film as well. Uh, how, what is, I guess what I'm trying to, I guess what I'm, what is the, I mean, I understand the process of crowdfunding. I mean, you know, I, I think it's, it's hard not to it nowadays with Kickstarter, uh, GoFundMe, all of that stuff going on. Um, what, what is the biggest is there is there a big difference between th- that type of filmmaking crowdfunding as far as uh finding the f- funds or is it or is it basically the same as you know funding a regular film or funding through traditional means i guess you could say it's very different i mean i don't think there are many instances of of a film being completely funded by a crowdfunding campaign um, it's always a combination of things. And, yeah. you know, my first film was a combination of investors, um, crowdfunding, a savings bond, credit cards, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. manual labor, things like that. And same thing for my second film. We only raised $16,000 um, in the Kickstarter campaign for Speed of Life. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of ground to make up. But traditional financing is so much more complicated and it's so hard to find people willing to invest yeah. in indie film. Uh, I had some investors on my second film as well who are amazing uh, patrons and investors and supporters and collaborators. And usually people come on board my projects, not because they see me as a commercially viable artist, but because they want to support me or they want to uh, learn about distribution and marketing because mm-hmm. that's something that I talk about at Sundance a lot. Usually there's kind of like a, an exchange going on yeah. as part of the investment as well. But um, traditional film financing, it's like, is this a commercially viable 
what product should I, you know, should I fund it? And that's never been my world. Mm -hmm. What, what is the, uh, I mean, you're, you played at Atlanta film festival, uh, this weekend, what are what are the plans going forward as far as uh, Gang Speed of Life and from uh, other eyes and maybe even releasing it? Yeah. Um, so we played Phoenix Film Festival this weekend as well. Um, and last weekend we were at Method Fest in Beverly Hills. Um, we were just accepted to an East Coast festival. I can't say what it is until August, but um, we have our East Coast premiere set, and then we're going to be playing um, in New Zealand in the fall as well. So, you know, my job at Sundance is to support filmmakers who decide to self-release, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first film was a traditional distribution deal. So what I'm doing right now is I, I'm, we're out to distributors, we're out to sales agents and they're considering the film right now. But if we need to self-release, it's, I don't see it as the, as a negative thing. Um, this film will get to audiences. I run an email list. I, you know, I'll give the film away for free. If people want to see it, the, the, the goal is always just to get people to watch it. And so I'm doing a combination of like live events and a plans for digital distribution in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, and hopefully, hopefully, something like this will help in getting the word out and uh, getting people uh, interested in watching the movie themselves. Because it is is really a uh, is really a lovely uh, character film, and it's Thank it's you. it's something it's uh, it's it's a little bit different. It's there there are things about it you might be familiar with as far as like the the dynamics and stuff like that but there there's a lot of it that's very different and a lot of it that's really uh it's it's very engaging and i really enjoyed watching it the other night and uh or the other day actually and <laughs> uh yeah i i i definitely appreciate i i definitely appreciate Atlanta uh Atlanta bringing it to bring it to the film festival and uh i'm i'm glad i got to meet you in person even if it was just for yeah. a little bit <laughs> thank you yeah and also i mean that's so nice of you to say thank you for all of that and uh, the other thing i always say is you know it's 75 minutes so um at the very least you know go and see it you've only spent 75 minutes on it um if you hate it so like, that's maybe i'm underselling my own work but um i hope people like it but you know it's it's no no real loss uh in their lives if they if they don't is there a place online that they can uh, find you to uh learn a bit more about the film yeah i mean we're uh we have a website that um currently is just like an email capture site, but I'm building it right now. It's speedoflifefilm.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, but ultimately like the whole point in making movies for me is to connect with people. Mm. So I just give my email address out, um, at every opportunity and say, you know, if you want to connect, just email me. So that's liz.manichelle, like Liz period Manichelle at gmail.com. And I, um, I kind of live for people watching my films and giving me their response. Um, Mm. It's the reason why I do it. 
Do you have any other projects down the uh, pipeline right now, or are you basically just focusing on uh, Speed of Life? Oh, that's right. Okay, so um, I'm attached to direct a third film called Lady First, uh, which I did, and it's about a woman who um, has her organs removed from her body, you know, her um, ovaries, her fallopian tubes, and her cervix removed from her body um, as a preventative measure to avoid cancer, uh, but she decides to keep them and they start talking to her. It's a very dark um, comedy. Uh, I'm really excited about it. And then I have a fourth film that I, you know, I've written, but I, I need to fix and polish and it's called sex and Jesus. And it's about, um, an interfaith relationship and what happens when one of them is proven right. So, uh, how can you have, um, I'm in an interfaith relationship and I think those kind of divisions are really interesting to explore Mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, lots of things on the horizon. If we just can find all the financing. Okay. And what was the name? What's the name of your first film and where can people find that? It's called bread and butter. It was on Hulu for two years, but I think it's off now. You can find it on iTunes, Amazon, Google play voodoo. Um, if you know, if finances are tough, just email me, I'll send you a link. I know I want art to be valued properly, but I also want people to watch the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't let money to pre- prevent me from seeing it. Um, I'm incredibly proud of it. And there's some Easter eggs from bread and butter in a uh, speed of life. Okay. All right. Well, Liz, thank you very much for uh, talking to me today. I'm really glad we were able to uh, set this up. Thank you so much. This is amazing. You're so good at this. So I really appreciate it. (laughs) Oh, no problem. I'd like to thank Liz Manischel for joining me today. Uh, Her film Speed of Life is currently on the festival circuit. Her first film, Bread and Butter, is available online. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Bread and Butter. I I do want to see it myself now. And uh, I hopefully look forward to uh, talking to Liz sometime else in the future uh, for the podcast, whether it's for a new film or just in general. Um, that's it for me on the uh, Sonic Cinema podcast. Um, I I will have a wrap-up of the Atlanta Film Festival, which will have audio and uh, from different filmmakers I've gotten to meet over the past 11 days and or over the 11 days as well as thoughts on the experience in general it was my first time covering uh, something as a member of the press and I was really excited about that and it's been really really fun to do that so I'm looking forward to that as well as there will be continuation of our Class of 1999 series on the Sonic Cinema podcast where we'll be talking about two of the biggest and most controversial uh, science fiction action movies of the year. And so that's it for me. This is Brian Scuttle. Thank you very much for joining me at the Sonic Cinema podcast. Hit me up on patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. I've got a lot of bonus content for patrons because of the Atlanta Film Festival and I hope you uh, subscribe there and uh, thank you very much. Mm